Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Okay, last time we were talking about factorial designs, and we were getting to a point now where we had, if you remember, we had A, B, and C, right? So now we have three main effects. We have a main effect potentially of A, main effect of B, and a main effect of C. So now you have potentially three main effects. Three two-way interactions, A, B, A, C, and B, C, and the three-way interaction A, B, C. So a three-way interaction is when a two-way interaction, the two-way interaction changes depending upon the level of the third variable. Okay? So it's just a general kind of uh, rule here. So some sort of things like, you know, if you have nine-way interactions, the eight-way interactions change depending upon the level of the ninth variable. Okay? Not that anybody ever does nine-factor designs, but one could. Um, so you could get something like, if in one, so there's A1, there's A2, there's B1, there's B2. So first of all, if we just looked at this in isolation, this here this is clearly an interaction, right? Because look, the effect of B2 bigger than B1 is way bigger at A2 than there is at A1. But if we said that's C1, and under C2 it looked like this. That's now a three-way interaction. Okay. And you might think that, well, when would we get something that complicated? It's actually, if you if you learn, if you think about it as an example, it's not that complicated. If you think of the C variable as being two species of birds, and then the A and B are different kinds of stimuli they remember. Right? And so you compare psychology. You know, or you can think of sex, the sexes, right? So you have uh, two variables that change within the sexes and you're comparing men and women. These things happen, you know, it's not uncommon to find a three-way interaction. I wonder if they're showing that thing next door that you can be using that sub over. Would a group like that also be considered like say uh, the experiment group? You could do that, sure, it could be. Yeah, so you could have a um, could be experimental. Could, different levels of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the idea is that having a couple of groups and then two more variables to also divide them up is not something that's uncommon. Three-way interactions you see all the time. Uh, four-way interactions get exceedingly complicated. Also, I can't think in four dimensions. Like, I have trouble breaking things down that way. I don't let my honor students do anything more than usually two. Sometimes three. I one day let a guy do a four. Um, he's actually worked back in Newfoundland. He's a postdoc at, at, at Queens doing neuroscience now. He's, you know, uh, and that doesn't mean anything. All I'm saying is that's one guy. That's one guy. And the whole time I've advised honor students, I, I can't think that way. I can imagine this. See, because if it was a four-way, then we'd have that would be D one and then D two, <laughs> a different pattern. And I, it's hard to even think of an example here. I can think of tons of examples here. My whole freaking PhD thesis was like that. It was all three-way interactions, all about species differences and two different kinds of stimuli. And then retention interval. You know, no problem. 
So that's not uncommon. And for those of you listening to the audio, the person in the next classroom is, I don't know, watching Top Gun or something. Uh, a lot of bottom end. A lot of bottom end. Or does it make sense? So the model for this, for a three-way, is x equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus gamma plus alpha beta plus beta gamma plus uh, alpha gamma plus alpha beta gamma plus epsilon. Okay. You made the plus epsilon doesn't show up on the screen, of course, as usual. It's, it's a gamma. It looks like a little, it's a small green gamma. Walking with cavemen for two days. I don't think it was that loud, but it might have been. Difference is, I'm sure that it was more interesting than whatever that is. <laughs> I don't know what, what it is. I don't even know what that class is. And I don't care. Okay. So you see the model there? I mean, now look, you could make it four, and it would be, you know, x equals mu plus alpha plus, uh, alpha plus beta plus gamma plus delta. Plus alpha, beta, alpha, gamma, alpha, alpha, delta, beta, delta, beta, gamma. Yeah, and then gamma, delta, and then we would go alpha, beta, alpha, gamma, alpha, beta, beta, beta. We get long. <laughs> and like I said, no one usually uses four-way designs anyway. It's crazy. Like I've, I have seen one with a student of mine did, and I, I can think of one example, I'm a prof that taught me this stuff in, in, at Western in, in third year, he had some stuff, he showed us a four-way interaction. But, like, he, even he said this is something that he doesn't even like because it's hard to think in four dimensions. Um, so it might look like this, this is sort of what I drew up here. So you can see that the effect, this is C1 and C2, so we just have two different patterns, two different two-way interaction patterns. That's all. That's all that is. It's nothing to be... And again, when you think about something like comparative psychology or doing sex differences, this isn't going to be a surprising thing if these kind of patterns show up. Okay? So same sort of ideas that I drop in the book. I don't blame them so much as the people that didn't put any insulation in the walls. <laughs> you know? 
Questions about that? So that sort of what I do up here. Same idea. Okay. Okay, now these designs have some great advantages and disadvantages, and we'll often talk about these kind of things. Um, we can study interactions. That's a big advantage because many of our theories in the life sciences in general, psychology in particular, have interactions in them. You know, um, we say that you look at all the stuff in memory, a lot of you guys are taking a memory class with me, we look at how different variables uh, affect different kinds of memory. So, you know, episodic memory decays at a different rate than semantic memory, things like that. You look at um, implicit and explicit memory, how one decays, one doesn't, or how one is affected by levels of processing, one isn't. There's all these kind of things where a lot of the theories we have in psychology, and really biology, biological sciences in general, um, have interactions in them. So to be able to study them, that's wonderful. These are really relatively as simple to interpret once you've done it a couple of times. Um, once you've looked at it, you know what interaction means, you know what main effect means, it's really not that hard to do. You can look at something and say, oh, yeah, yeah sure, I, I can glass labeled now, I can take a look and, and see why we would get these different patterns in different groups. So they're really pretty simple to interpret, especially compared to some of the other designs we're going to talk about. Now there's a downside to these things. Now the question is, remember we talked about fixed and random models. Is it a fixed model, a mixed model, a random model? Well, usually it's fixed. We just assume it's fixed and go from there. These things can get very big very fast. So, now you don't have to write this bit down, but I just want to show you how big these things can get. So, if we have A and B and A by B, that's not bad. And then we bring in C, and now we have the two-way interactions uh, and, yeah, maybe, yep. and then three-way. That's not so bad. Now remember that is one, two, three, four, five, six. That's seven F tests, but you know, the software don't do that for it. So we can. Now we bring in D. That's a lot of effects. Yep. So the three-way interaction is seven F tests. Well, there's for the three-way, there's the one test that you didn't see, but there are seven to do, right? Because just up to here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We test the F for A, the F for B, the F for A B, the F for C, the F for A C, the F for B C, and the F for A B C. And now put E on, or D on there, and now suddenly you've got 14 to do. You put E on there, you have 28 Fs. This is getting very big. And now think about suddenly, if you do this, and you want to say have 20 subjects per group, uh, 24, 265, 560 people. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a good idea. Right? It's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> right? And you double that, you're 1,020 people. That's ridiculous. <coughs> right? So this, these things can get very big very fast. That's the concern. All right. 
So if you wanted to do something like that, because you really needed to know that that third variable, mm -hmm. uh, would you do it in two different steps, like study, where you end up doing correlations rather than just? No, I wouldn't do it that way. I do it all at once. Yeah. I do it all at once because what you're interested in is how everything comes together. Wouldn't you just take a baseline for each of those? <clears throat> well, it depends on what you're studying. Right. right? So, you know, uh, that would be something you could do. You could actually do before and after or something like that. Uh, which is kind of, in some respects, almost a special case. There we go. Oops. Kind of what you're talking about, Danny, is kind of what this is, the idea of repeated measures. Um, if you look at repeated measure designs, let's say you're talking about learning or forgetting. Right? You can't really use independent groups. Remember, with this stuff we just talked about, we all, with factorial science, we're talking about independent groups, different people, different subjects in each group. You can't really do that here. You want to look at learning, you can't look at and by definition, it's one of those things that involves repeated measures. It involves me looking at the same people over and over again to see the rate of, of learning. The same people or rats or whatever the hell you're using. What you're doing then is you're going to test the same people over and over again. That's what you want to do in this situation rather than looking at independent observations. Right? So we test people after one trial, two trials, three trials, five, 10, 15, 20, and then we take a look and see did they improve. That's what learning is. If we're going to look at forgetting, we're going to look at different, the same people over time, and did they forget stuff? Right? Makes sense, right? That's what you're going to do. So we're looking at change over time of any sort. Yeah, there's other times we're going to do this as well, but whenever we're looking at change over time, we kind of have to use the same people, or rats, or pigeons, or monkeys, or whatever. Jackdaws. Jackalopes. <laughs> so what you get is something that looks like this. So here's, two, here's three retention intervals for an experiment, okay? So we got five minutes, one hour, and 24 hours. We give people a list of words and test their forgetting. Same group, G1, G1, G1. So same group all the way through. Instead of before, if this was a one-way ANOVA, we would just have G1, G2, G3. But we're, we're interested to see how, people, how people's uh, how forgetting happens. And we're looking at forgetting, we're looking at the same person. Right? Just logically, it only makes sense with the same person, same people. Right? Make sense? Okay. So, hopefully, some of you have discovered a potential problem here. Longest title for a slide ever. <laughs> the observations aren't independent. How many times have I said to you the key thing, the key variable, the key assumption you cannot violate is the independence of observations? You can violate homogeneity variance. You can violate. Simple random sample. You can violate normal population. You violate the crap out of those last two. 
You can't ever violate homosexuals. You can't violate independent assumptions. If I know Sophie's score, that doesn't help me know Danny's score. That's no good. Except if I'm testing Sophie twice, by knowing Sophie's first score, I got a pretty good idea what the second score is because there's another, it's the same, same person. That's not independent at all. And you might say, well, then we should quit. And you would be wrong. There's a way to deal with this. Well, why don't we just put that in the model? Right, I'm always saying, I always go back to the, the model's gone before, but I always go back to the model, look at it. And I remember I said, it doesn't say if Yana is sitting near Bailey, that's not in the model. It's not anywhere in there. But it, I could certainly put in Bailey, 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 Bailey. I gotta have a, a variable called subjects, and they have a level called Bailey. Oh, clever. The tables are turned, aren't they, Mr. Bond? I just like saying that. It's got nothing to do with anything. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Shaken, not stirred. He just is ordering a watered-down martini. Because the ice melts more <clears> than <throat> the gin. And don't, before you go with the vodka, you use vodka martini. It's not, it's not a martini. It's just vodka. Keep it in with gin. Good gin is delicious. Bad gin is horrible. <laughs> it's part of the problem. I don't like gin martinis. You haven't drank good gin. It's worth spending extra 20 bucks a bottle, seriously, to buy a good bottle of gin. That's a little hint for you guys. A little drinking tip. The wine restaurant that actually made martinis that I worked at used beef heater. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good gin. No, I mean, you go, you buy like... Uh, London number one's really good. Hendrix is amazing. It comes in this little crock. Oh, you just drink that straight. Go, go, go. It's awesome. So now the model changes, but we're bringing in, look, this looks like the old model. X equals mu plus tau plus epsilon. Oh, look, we brought in some new pi. Now, again, here, pi doesn't mean 3.1415927, blah, blah, blah. It's just pi for people. Because people like pi. <laughs> so any score equals the grand mean plus the treatment effect. This should sound familiar so far. It's like straight one way you know it. Plus error and then plus the effect of subjects. In other words, I'm going to bring in the fact, into the model, the fact that I'm using the same subjects over and over again. It's a kind of independence I can deal with. <clears throat> I can just say, well... There are different people, and they have different levels, and one of their levels is Jamal, and one of their levels is Danny, and one of their levels uh, is, uh, I don't know, let's fix that, Chris. I need back here. So. <laughs> okay, so that's easy. That's all you're doing. <clears throat> so you just think treating people like a variable. You are nothing but meaningless numbers. That's how the world is. Get used to it. <laughs> I'm not a number. I'm a free man. The prisoner? Nobody? No. Oh, come on. <laughs> go, go on at some point. Not now. At some point, go to YouTube and watch old episodes of The Prisoner. Show from a 1970 in the UK. Um, it's awesome. It's also exceedingly surreal. It was also made in the country I've never been to 13 years before I was born. Yeah. 
in a country I've only been to once five years after I was born. I mean, I don't want to watch it. You know? It's good. You should watch it. The finale's weird. Just saying. Okay, so the design then looks like this. We have different... All I've done, instead of saying group one, group two, group three, look, I've got subject one, subject two, subject three, subject four. So I'm just calling subjects that are now a variable. Five minutes, one hour, 24 hours. So we have decreased epsilon. Think about it. If we just thought of this as a straight-ahead ANOVA, x equals mu plus tau plus epsilon, right? If it was just that, we could do it. We could analyze it that way. But we have another variable. Why not bring it in? And that's people. Now, think about this. This is in the new model. So is this. Treatment effect isn't going to change. Grand mean's not going to change. What's going to change is we now have brought in pi plus epsilon. That means the old error term, epsilon, is now broken up into pi plus epsilon. We can explain more error. We can explain more error. We've decreased epsilon. That's going to be good because it's always it's an error term. We want error to be small because we're always going to divide something by epsilon. If that thing on the bottom is small, that means the fraction itself is bigger and we're more likely to get significance because we want a big F. But we've, we've lost some degrees of freedom because if we've split, remember, we're always, remember we always partition sums of squares and degrees of freedom? So if we're partitioning the error part, some degrees of freedom have to go over with people. And some will stay with error. But some have to go with the people. So if that's the case, the F itself is going to have, the critical F is going to have fewer degrees of freedom, which means that it's going to be a little bit higher. If you take a look at an F table or any statistical table, the fewer degrees of freedom, the higher, the higher the critical value. Right? So we've made epsilon smaller, which is good, but we had to pay for it. There is no free lunch. Right? It's always cost. You can't just take stuff out and say, oh, it's fine. You pay for it. You pay for it in degrees of freedom. <coughs> and blood. Start from that. Mostly just degrees of freedom. So, so if the critical value is higher, that means we'll be likely to make more type 2 errors? It just means it's going to be harder to find significance. Right. Yeah, but we've also made it easier to find significance by making the, the, the denominator of the fraction smaller. Okay. So the question is, is that did we, we paid for this. We paid for making the, the denominator smaller by losing some degrees of freedom. But, but then that's almost always worth it. Okay. Yeah. And you'll see, in fact, the assignment that's due next Thursday um, has, that's actually one of the questions on it, because you do a regular ANOVA and then you do a repeated measures ANOVA, and you take a look at that and you try to figure out, was it worth it? The loss of, degree, the loss of degrees of freedom. See, so if we have a regular one-way analysis of variance on that design, where it had three levels and four subjects, 
we would have two levels for rotation, or two degrees of freedom for rotation, over just like here. We would have nine for error and 11 total. We had 12 observations. Big N minus K, so 12 minus 3 is 9. Our error term would have, our, 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 our critical apps would be 2 and 9 degrees of freedom. With this one, with this guy here, retention interval, still 2. So that's going to, in fact, these scores will be exactly the same. The subscores, degrees of freedom, and mean square for both kinds of analysis will be the same. Total will be the same. But now we have four subjects, so we lose one degree of freedom for subjects. Two and three is five, we've got to get to 11, we have six. When we've accounted for the subject variation in repeated measures design, the error term gets smaller. Instead of being nine, it's now six. Okay. And if you look up in an F table, the critical value for two and nine degrees of freedom versus two uh, and six, you'll find that the two and six one is higher. Except that we've made the error so much smaller, it's been worth it. So we've paid for our reduction in the error with degrees of freedom. And with our own freedom. I don't know, I'm just saying stuff like that. Really just degrees of freedom. And our first board. Okay. Questions about that? Does that make some sense? Not the first board part, that was weird. <laughs> Design is a finite amount of variation, okay? So, and I'm using variation as a loosey-goosey kind of ethereal term. I don't want to use variance. Uh, you could say variance, but I'm just going to say variation. And a finite number of degrees of freedom. We've partitioned the degrees of freedom uh, and variation a little bit further, that's all. <coughs> we've partitioned the sums of squares, and we've partitioned the degrees of freedom. That's all we've done. Of it. Does it like um, make it more uniform, or does it still? Still, it would be exactly the same as it was before. Yeah. It's yeah. a neat question. Mean squared for retention interval, in other words, mean squared treatment. In this, if you want to get general, so it was retention interval in the experiment, if you remember. Um, will be the same for both analyses, just like I was pointing out before. It still has two degrees of freedom because there's three levels of retention interval. It's going to be exactly the same for both. <laughs> the question you're asking is, is the reduction of mean squared error worth the loss of degrees of freedom? That's the big question you're asking yourself. And the only way it really wouldn't be is if everyone was exactly the same. Because if we tried to take something out and there was no variation, in other words, every subject was exactly the same. So if we did this and they were all octal mom's children, wouldn't be a lot of variance there. 
It's good that she's off the radar, right? That's a good thing. It's good that she's what? Off the radar. We don't think about her anymore. Off the wall. Still feel bad for the kids, though. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah but she's <laughs> off the radar. We don't have yeah. to think about her. She's not getting her attention. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's still Kate plus eight. Yeah, I don't want to know about those people. I was just See, I'm lucky. I don't know that stuff. I just know titles. I don't know any. I've never seen these shows. I won't watch them. Uh, I, yeah, I heard about a friend who's a, a media buyer in New York. So he's always posting on Facebook about these various things. And Toddlers and Tiaras is one of them. Oh, and you know something? I only know, I clearly know what that show must be by the title of it. And anybody that does that to their kid should just be kicked in the crotch. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a solution. Just, just, just keep doing it until they stop putting their kids in pageants. They're um, three years old. Yeah, it's like Charles Benet, uh Ramsey. It's the same. That's what. It's well, that's what she was into that. I don't think it necessarily leads to weird yeah, sexual no, murder. But, but um, it's no. That's 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 when I first learned about it. I think we all first learned about it when it was that case. Not all of us. Many of you guys were very yeah. small children when that happened. But yeah, yeah, it's that kind of thing. And I just don't it's, want to know about that. It's just weird sexual stuff. I mean, they're sexualizing children. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's wrong on so many levels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, just saying. Stop that, everyone. We've, we've done, we've now done our part. Don't you all feel better making the world a better place? We've discussed it. Which is the way that most people think they It's done. Oh, no, I wear a ribbon. <laughs> I've got a whole blog post about that. Yeah. Yeah. Colors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it says, what's it called? Changing your Facebook status will change the world. In case you can't tell, I'm being sarcastic. Yeah. You know, if you make your Facebook status uh, your, your 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 avatar, you turn it into a cartoon. It stops bullying. No, it doesn't. You're an idiot. All right. But it puts awareness on it. How? What's awareness on it? People know it exists. No, it doesn't do it. I don't think it does a thing. Are we not aware that the kids get bullied? No. It's like breast cancer. I got two friends that survived breast cancer. Doesn't. I think we're already aware. We know it's there. Okay, it's almost always. Anyway, back to the regular scheduled program. The reduction mean squared error is almost always worth it. There would be the only time it wouldn't be, as I said, it'd be with where it was always the same. If you guys were all exactly the same. And that would be creepy, some kind of clone class. Yeah. Some sort of parallel universe. I wake up one day, it's like a Twilight Zone episode. Like, stop, would it be? <laughs> so, some of these references are just for me. Now, just think about this for a second. It's actually pretty cool. But let's look at this model. Is this model realistic? X equals mu plus tau plus pi plus epsilon. Is it realistic to think that the effect of people doesn't somehow interact with the treatment? Because all that would mean, this model says that the treatment is independent, right? Because there's nothing putting it together, of people. That's actually kind of silly. Some people, let's think about it again, this is a memory example, just retention interval. So some people's memories are better than others. Right? Some people's memories are better than others. So some people will remember for longer periods of time. Some people remember they're, they're, some people's forgetting curves go like this. And other people don't seem to forget things as quickly. That's an interaction between people 
and treatment. But there's no interaction in that model. So this may not be realistic. Shouldn't pi interact with tau? Shouldn't it be the case that treatments affect people differently? That retention interval changes depending upon the person. Now, that's a two-way interaction, isn't it? Yeah, it's much more reasonable. Huh. This is much more a reasonable approach. Assuming it doesn't, let's say it doesn't, what's going to happen is any interaction is just going to make error bigger. Because it's not accounted for in the model. The only place it can go is epsilon. We want epsilon to be small. So what we can do is just put it in there. Just put it in the model. Let's put a tau by pi interaction in the model. So now out model, our model changes. It's now x equals mu plus tau plus pi plus tau pi. Where'd error go? <laughs> Where'd error go, you ask? That's not a typo. I didn't assume it was. I figured something happened to it. What? No epsilon? Yep, <laughs> no absolutely. Um, all this is is that tau pi replaces the epsilon. It becomes it's going to become our error term. So the way we're going to calculate error is going to be by looking at interaction of of of, of, of treatments and people. We've actually the reason we can't is because we've now exhausted the degrees of freedom. There's none left. There's none left. Because tau by pi would have a number of levels of people. Oh, there should be some pi missing up here. It should be tau plus pi plus tau pi. Huh. That's, that's bad. I'm missing the pi term, the people term, the subject term on its own. We just treat s as any other variable. That's For the calculations, we're treating s as any other variable. And it has different levels, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, or whatever the hell. We just give numbers to them, it doesn't matter. Right? You could use names, you could use categories, it doesn't matter. So now, the analysis looks like this. Retention interval has two degrees of freedom. Subjects has three. And retention interval is subject. Oh, look, it's just a two-way interaction. Two times three is six. That's all it is. <coughs> There's nothing left, like 2 and 3 is 5 and 6 is 11. There's no, wouldn't we get air going to have 0 degrees of freedom? Things can have 0 degrees of freedom. Right? So how does this end up working? Well, our error term is actually a treatment by subject interaction. So it's actually a treatment by subject interaction. 
Subjects? Now, this, you might be wondering, why did he tell us all about random factors and fixed factors last time when he said nobody worries about them? Because the one time we do is we treat subjects as a random factor. Because they aren't fixed at all, they aren't, we aren't just interested in those people, we work under the assumption that they act like a random sample. So subjects are thought of as a random factor. So the expected values work out um, such that we divide subjects, or sorry, the effect of uh, treatment by the treatment by subject interaction. Like I said here, there's a reason I actually taught you that stuff. So we're going to divide the treatment mean square by the interaction subject by treatment mean square to get the effect of treatment. <coughs> That's what our F test is going to be. Okay. Yeah, the F test is going to be mean squared treatment divided by mean squared subjects by treatment, or in our case, retention interval and retention interval by subjects. We don't actually test the subject factor. We don't do an F test to see if subjects have an effect. So do we end up taking that square or something? Well, they're taken out because we actually account for the variance. We've, we've partitioned the degrees, some squares degrees of freedom. Their variance is gone now. Right? We think what a main effect is. It's looking, in this case, treatment alone. It's looking at treatment ignoring the effect of subjects. Removed. Right? Doesn't that lead into aggression? No. Regression is just taking out of variables. Regression is controlling for another variable. Not that's not exactly what regression is. We'll talk about regression. I know. The expected values. about this, we've got treatment, we've got subjects, and we've got treatment by subjects. Treatment's a fixed effect, subjects are a random effect. So, treatment is going to have the effect of treatment. This is the expected value of the mean square. It's going to be the variance to the treatment plus the treatment by pi interaction. The effect of subjects is going to be pi. And the expected value of treatment by subject is the interaction. Because you remember before when, when we had A and B, and A was fixed and B was random, we just throw error in that. We don't have error in Take a look at this. Here you look. We can isolate treatment. We divide this by this. We divide treatment, pi, tau plus tau pi, divided by treatment by subject, which is tau pi. What can we, we can't divide subjects by anything. Do you see anything with just pi on the bottom? Pi on it? No. There is no mean square we can divide by to isolate the pi effect. 
So we don't test the subject factor. We can't test mean square for subjects. It can't be done. There's nothing to divide by. There is no expected, there's no expected mean square that works out that allows us to isolate the effect of pi. There's no way. It's impossible. It's impossible, as Ralph Wiggum would say. <coughs> There's no error. There's no correct expected value means expected mean square we can divide by. You can see we can divide this by this and isolate that. Those cancel. This no. There's nothing to, nothing to isolate pi with. So we can't mathematically do it. It's impossible. Just think about this logically. Who the hell cares? Our big, if we found this, if we found a significant effect of subjects, that would mean that people were different from each other. <laughs> That's not really that important. Everybody, yeah, we're all individuals, man. Everyone's like a snowflake. <laughs> Who cares? We know that already. And this could be any damn thing. The reason you've put that in the model and taken it, like I said, the only time it wouldn't work is if everyone was exactly the same and everyone could be any animal without your study. So it doesn't matter. First of all, it's mathematically impossible. Secondly, who gives a shit? I mean, like, it, you, oh, you found people are different. Is that your PhD dissertation? <laughs> Was one score was extremely different than one that make a difference? Then? Yeah, sure, of course, because it's going to make the variance. Right. Yeah. Then you want to know what it was that actually. But you, you can't. But you can't do it with this kind of design. This is why, for example, we have one extreme score in something like. Oh, we talked about in the memory class, that guy Rahan or Rajan or whatever you pronounce his right. name with the, the guy that knows pi to 28,000 decimal places because he has a lot of free time. Um, we have to study him as a case. We can't, this is why we do case studies. So it's the only you, thing you can do. So would you take his score just... I wouldn't use him in a memory experiment. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't use him in a memory experiment because he's not in the same population. Right. It, that violates an assumption. Um, so that's why we have case studies. That's why, and sometimes it's the only, it's unfortunate we have to use case studies sometimes, but there are times that things that are so exceedingly rare that we have to use them. Right? But yeah, I mean, all we do is make the variance due to subjects bigger. You can see the size of the mean square, and if it's big, that should make you happy because it means you took out a lot of variance. But also, if it's big, it probably means that, like, if it's too big, it's going to mean it's going to interact differently with the treatment, which means it's going to make a really big error term, even a small error term. So, you know, sword two edges. So, questions about that? You see how that works? Pretty simple. Really? There's a reason we don't test the subjects, and there's a reason we use subjects by treatment as an error term. It works out mathematically. And it makes sense that there's this. Okay, the repeated measures design that I just talked about is a special case of something called a randomized block. Um, it's remember the mass pairs are correlated t-test, the one with d bar on top. 
divided by s sub d by the square root of number of pairs. Remember, that can be used for repeated measures, right, for the same subjects, or it could be used for matched pairs. Right, so we'll use before and after or with matched pairs. Before and after is exactly the same as the same subject as the repeated measures t-test. But matched pairs, matched pairs is a general, um, more general way to look at it, right? And the ultimate matching variable is using the same people. Subjects are matched usually on the dependent variable. Right, we talked about that before. So we can do the same thing with repeated measures and analysis of variance. We're going to use the reason I you said why did you tell us the special case first, not the general case? Uh, because it's probably easier to understand the special case when everybody's the same people. It's all the same people being tested. But what we're going to do here is we're going to match subjects, blocks of subjects, on some variable. What we need here is what's called homogeneity of experimental units. All that means is that the subjects in each block are the same on a variable we're interested in. It's an assumption of a randomized block design. The ultimate homogeneity of experimental units is using the same people over and over again. They're homogeneous, they're the same. But let's say that you guys, we were doing a, a, an experiment on a well, I don't know, something with blood pressure. I usually use that. So, and we'll say that your seats were assigned based on your blood pressure. So this whole row has exactly the same blood pressure. And so does this whole row. We'll pretend there's somebody else you're making for. And we're going to test four levels of some drug. Okay? So, in essence, we're treating all you guys like one person. Homogeneity of experimental units, because we don't get the same blood pressure. We're treating all you guys like one person. Person. There's a lot of ways to do to achieve this. By the way, you can match up groups, like match up pair, pairs, or or or, or whatever four people's called. Um, uh, twins or litter mates is often used. Things like that. So if you want to go the same environment, pretty similar genome, right? So this isn't impossible to do. Because you might think, well, that's kind of hard. No, you just make, you're matching them on one thing, usually. You're matching them on one thing. So it's called blocking. It's not the same as blocking and learning, different kind of blocking. This thing we've blocked on is, we're going to call it a nuisance variable. It's, it's something that's in the way. It's a nuisance. It's in the way. It's, it's bad. something like language learning. This is an example I often use, language learning. So we have different, we want to test different teaching methods for languages. That seems like a sensible thing to do. So let's find out if doing languages, uh, meeting twice a week for an hour and a half, the sort of standard semester approach, let's see if that works the same as doing it intensively for a week. So like 39 hours in one week, 
Well, let's see uh, the, the, uh, the block approach that was talked about a couple of years ago. We do it over three weeks. Okay? Which one works the best? That's a good question. That's a good question. You know, and it would have been neat if people actually relied on evidence when they complained about that rather than just screaming. But so we're looking at these things and we're thinking, which one's going to work? Well, that's a good question. But we would have to make sure that everybody had the same experience. So what's the language most of us have learned second language in university? French. Right? Okay, we all have different levels of proficiency in French. Some people are bilingual. They're, 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 they're born into a, a family where you use both languages. Some people uh, somehow get all the way through high school and don't even know how to count in French, <laughs> which my, my wife talks about this all the time. She's amazed when she teaches intro French. Like, I, can't, I, can't. I thought they had to learn French in Ontario. People don't. And then you've got the sort of average sort of high school French people that can get by. They do okay. Right? So we divide them up. We would want to match people to put in each group we want to put one person that has uh, that's bilingual and one person each block. So you have a block of, of bilinguals, and we have a block of proficient, it's called functionally bilingual kind of people, you know, like come out of high school, come out of they've done French all the way to grade 12. And you have a block of like, bilingual people, they're sort of a control. And we'll do a grammar test at the end or something. We'll do a grammar test at the end. Or a they don't care what kind of freaking test it is, we're not doing the experiment. And then we test them. We have that, those three blocks, and then we have the different kinds of pedagogy, different kinds of teaching method. Right? It would be a nuisance variable. What if we were randomly assigning subjects to groups, and, and the group for the semester group got all bilingual people? That would probably skew the results some, wouldn't it? It'd be like, oh, that works the best. Maybe it does, by the way. I don't freaking know. But all I can tell you is, that would then be a problem. We, this is one of those cases where we say, okay, no, this is a so important variable, previous experience, that we want to make sure that we control for it, that we block on it. Nuisance variables um, can increase error. Just like when we didn't have the people in the pi term, we didn't have that in, we went, oh, we better take care of that because it's going to make epsilon bigger. Let's take it out. So the same thing happens here. We want to reduce error to give us better power. So we reduce error by blocking on a nuisance variable. So the structural model of this kind of design is actually pretty much the same. It's pretty much the same as the first one we had. Okay. looks like this. So it's any score equals the grand mean plus the treatment effect plus the block effect plus the residual, whatever's left over. Notice the fact there's no interaction there, and there's no interaction because that would be a hard thing to measure because while we have blocked on uh, experience with a language, you know, with a language, everything else is different. We can't really look at an interaction there. It's not fair. We couldn't really calculate. We can't get a good estimate. So we're just going to have a block effect, a treatment effect, and error, or residual. Okay? Hope you can get these in the States. 
You might want to take some of Yeah, I got some in my bag. I bought some this morning. Okay. Here's the assumptions. The sum of the treatment effects equals zero. You should have seen that before. This treatment sum to zero. That's some, we always had that. Um, pi, that's the effect of blocks, is normally distributed and independent with a mean of zero and a variance of sigma squared sub pi. Just like error is normally distributed independent with a mean of zero and a standard deviation of sigma squared sub epsilon. Or sorry, a variance of sigma squared sub epsilon. So the effect of blocks is, is, is normal and independent with a mean of zero. The effect, the residual is, is, is a mean of zero and it's normal and independent. So what this is saying is that if I know the score in this group, this block, it doesn't help me know the score in another block, right? At a different level of the nuisance variable. Epsilon, the error terms, are independent of the block effects. I don't know what the residual is going to be. If I open one group, it doesn't help me understand it. One block, it doesn't help me understand it in another block. That's an important thing. And there are also no interactions, no tau by pi interactions. In other words, if it affects the group that has perfectly bilingual group, the, independent, the, the, the treatment will affect them the same way it affects the people that are completely language naive. Okay? And those are important. This one, if, if there are interactions, it's, it's going to make error bigger because it's the only place you can go is, is there. Yeah, you're saying, but Dave, there's going to be interactions. Oh, I know. <laughs> there always are. Not everybody's, not all blocks, slopes are going to be exactly the same. Well, what that's going to do is it's going to make epsilon bigger. In other words, it's going to make more false negatives possible. It's going to decrease power. So at least you're not going to make an idiot of yourself. Okay. So you just lose power. Uh, which isn't nearly as bad as, you know, making false positives. So, if you're doing this kind of design, you can't have interactions. The problem is you can't test for interactions because there's nothing in the model accounting for interactions. So you're saying, how, Dave, how am I going to find out if there's interactions? How can I make sure there's no interactions if I can't find out there's interactions? This is a good question. Right? Well, there's an answer. It's exploratory data analysis. Look at this. So this is the, this is the example I was talking about. So this is previous experience with a language. We have three methods of teaching. Three methods of teaching. One, two, and three. I don't know. So you can say semester, uh, one week, or block approach. You know, like the, the, the three-week approach they talked about. They use it down in St. Thomas. 
Um, we have low experience with the language, medium experience with the language, and high experience with the language. And you look at that and you say, Dave, there's an interaction there. Uh-huh, you're right. So now I have violated an assumption of this kind of analysis. Can I still do it? Well, what you do in this case is you do the analysis anyway. And if you get an effect, it's made the test more conservative, the violation of the assumption. So if you get an effect, you go, it's fine. The problem is when you don't get an effect, you go, now why didn't I get an effect again? It could be because I have an interaction, and there really is an effect, there's nothing I can do about it, which would be a shame, but it's also possible. So it's a, I don't like it, but that can happen. So what you've got to say in this case is, I cannot have any interactions. So what you do is you look at this, and the way I take a look at these kind of things when this happens, is I say, is the pattern the same or roughly the same in all the blocks? It's not quite the same, I would say, here, because you've got this weird case of the people that have the high experience doing best uh, in the, what we say, definitely was the semester approach. Sorry, best in the three-week approach, worse in the one-week approach, and somewhere in the middle here at the semester approach. Or, or the yeah, one week, yeah, sorry, yeah, the semester. That's weird. Why, why did that happen? I don't know. I made these numbers up. Is this real? Hmm. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah, this isn't real. This isn't real. It's as real as many of the arguments that people had on both sides argued about the block plan. Really is. It's going to kill people. It's worse than Hitler. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Nothing <laughs> in between. Nobody had any, just, there's very few just rational discussions of it. Oh, well. Why be rational? It's not like it's a university. Um, too many people were too worried about how Too many people awesome. are worried about everything. That's generally people worry about change. A fear of change and outsiders. You know. And then there's the other things like, oh, change. Change everything all the time. Blow everything up. I was trying to say, let's, well, we could do this. No. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, if I, I would do this. I would look at this and say, I don't know if it's an appropriate analysis. I'd do it to see if there was an effect. If I found it, I would go, yeah, there's an effect. But, because I know that the violation has made the, uh, has made the test more conservative, so that's great. Violation has made the test more conservative. So if I find something, it's probably there. But if I don't find something, I'm going to look at it and go, oh, sugar. Because hmm? What is it violated here again? The, the interaction of, of blocks and treatments. It's a tau by pi interaction. You look at that, okay. right? You can see that. I mean, there's nothing in the model that says there's tau by pi interactions. So we have them. And that's not good. But if I find an effect, I'm okay. Of, of, of treatment. If I don't find an effect, this is where I get concerned. Because like, it could very well be, in fact, there really is an effect. And I missed it because of the interaction. This would probably, in my, okay, what I would do, I look at this video, it's probably okay. Lines start crossing, disordinal interactions, there's where you got a problem. There's where you got a problem. Okay. You know, you could have more than one repeated variable, but does anybody have any questions with the randomized plot? You understand the idea? It's sort of the general case of repeated measures. Okay. Yeah, you can have more than one repeated variable. You can have two kinds of memory tests, implicit and explicit test, and you could have 
three levels of retention interval. Same people touch. In fact, this is this is basically the experiment we did in the lab class just the other day. Uh, just for the break, we did this experiment, except we only had our, our retention intervals were five minutes and 48 hours, because there's two days between classes. And we had so we had um, an implicit test and an explicit test. This is not an uncommon approach. You can totally do this. So this is a repeated measures two by three. There's nothing wrong with doing this. One can do this. Perfectly fine. So you see the logic of this? I mean, you're just testing people on two kinds of tests, and you're testing them in three different levels of the retention interval. It's the same people all the time. Any questions on that? All right, I think we'll stop there. Um, so the test is on everything up to right there. Including the stuff that was on the previous test? Well, like I said at the beginning, I mean, other knowledge is useful. And I certainly could throw in the odd definition of the old sets. That's certainly something I make. But I mean, again, you can make notes, you can look it up. Right?
podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.